Sequoia's official podcast, where we kick ash. How's it going, Sequoia? You're listening to KA19, Sequoia's official podcast. I'm your host, Jackie B., a little bit sick today, so hope it sounds all right. But today on KA19, we have a motivational speaker, comedian, book author, and psychologist, Matt Bellis, with us over the phone. Matt, happy to have you on the show today, and how are you doing? Great. Great, Jack. How are you? I'm fantastic. And just curious, Matt, where are you at the moment, since we're doing this over the phone? I live in Princeton, New Jersey. Nice. All right. Sounds good. Glad that we could get you on. So, Dr. Bellis, I had the pleasure of meeting you at VCOE's Teens Kick Ash Conference, a convention where educators and other groups come to explain the dangers of tobacco and nicotine products to students. Funny enough, that's how KA19 got its name. KA is for kick ash and 19 is for S in Sequoia, the 19th letter in the alphabet. You were the keynote speaker for the day and spoke about your background and methods of getting away and staying away from things like vaping, alcohol, and marijuana. I found your presentation very interesting, especially after you explained your main technique to stay away from these things. Would you mind telling us a bit about your natural high approach and what a natural high is? Sure. So I look at the problem of alcohol and other drug use, including vaping, nicotine, or marijuana as part of a bigger problem you know, that we have in, in society where we're told that we can't cope with stress, can't deal with anxiety, we can't have fun, um, you know, we can't do anything without putting a chemical you know, into our brains. And so my whole approach, bring a neuropsychologist, somebody who studied the brain for 10 years, I appreciate the fact that there are activities that we can do that give us a high, a natural high, and they're not going to be as intense as taking a drug to achieve that high, but they're better for your brain and and for your body long term. So if you take vaping nicotine, for example, which a lot of people report helps them relax after they they take it, maybe for an hour or two, um, you know, there are many activities we can do to relax ourselves uh, that don't involve a chemical, be it exercise, be it laughing. For me, meditating is a great way to deal with stress, and I try to meditate once a day. Um, And so I just sort of explain the science behind this and and try not to judge young people trying alcohol and other drugs. Um, I know it's out there, and and they can get their hands on it, but there's there's a better way. There's a better high, hence the title of my book. Got it. So before today, I actually did some research on the brain's reward system, and I found out that the brain's key reward system is called the mesolimbic dopamine system. Is that right? Yeah. And it's the key detector of rewarding stimulus. So when it finds something it likes, it releases dopamine into the brain. So everybody sort of knows that. But I was wondering, what does the brain classify as a rewarding stimulus? Like, how does it know when to release that dopamine? It depends a lot on the individual, certainly. I mean, there's some things that you love doing, Jack, that someone else might not. There are things that I really, really enjoy and find pleasurable that other people might be like, eh, what's the big deal? Like, I love surfing. Some people are terrified of the ocean. They don't like being cold water. Um, to me, it's like one of the most thrilling things to do on the planet. But there are things that reliably will release dopamine in your brain, like eating a meal. 
and laughing and exercising. Whether you, even if you hate exercise, you don't want to go running. We measure your brain 30 minutes after a run. We see a difference, especially with dopamine and endorphins being released. Going for a hike in the woods. Like all these things have an impact on our nervous system, but some are more intense, I guess, than others based on preference. And, and that's where the subjectivity comes into it. You got to sort of do some research on yourself and find out, you know, what really does it for you. Got it. So it's it's really personal. I mean, there's obviously some science before uh, beside it where like natural survival instincts, our brain knows that that's good for us. But really, it's all up to personal interests and everything to figure out what what's really good for you. Right. And a lot of times, great natural highs happen alone. There, there are things we do by ourselves, a lot of fitness type things, swimming, running, biking. Um, these are things we do in isolation that make us feel good. But there's also the ones that we do in groups, like laughing and playing sports, winning a big game, uh, being together as a team. I mean, these, these are highs that happen you know, together. And I think just given the popularity, certainly, of sports when you're young, that suggests that people do you know, get those pleasurable feelings you know, from, from those activities. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I play baseball and soccer. And, I mean, if you take a look at me, uh, I would say that your first impression is not the sports kid. So if I like to do it, I just love the, the feeling of the game and everything. And so it really just makes me feel good. And so I guess that happens all around for a lot of things. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and so I just encourage young people to keep trying activities maybe ones that you thought you wouldn't be into. And as you get older, sometimes things change. Like I love gardening, for example. Now I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, right? So I'm growing vegetables. That is so exciting to me to be able to, yeah. to pick vegetables and cook them in my kitchen. But when I was 15, a kid who barely would eat a salad at that time, I would have thought it was crazy to enjoy that natural high. So thing, you know, it evolves as you get older. Got it. That's so cool. So another thing I found out about the dopamine system is it also is in contact with the memory system, and it makes it pay attention to the thing that it's releasing dopamine for. So whatever the activity is, it makes sure to replicate it, and it doesn't release dopamine for the wrong thing. Is this why it's so hard to quit something like smoking? So it is interesting because if the if you look at the neuroanatomy of the brain, there's a brain structure called the amygdala, which helps produce all the emotions you're ever going to have. It's part of the limbic system, and it sits right next to the hippocampus, Yes, a brain structure you need for memory, right? So those are intimately uh, integrated, involved in each other for a reason. So when you experience something exciting um, or scary, that your brain remembers that stuff. So we can either seek out that thing again, or it can avoid it. Now, when it comes to drug highs, Unfortunately, you know, the brain is a very good association machine. So we associate things all the time, right? So we're associating um, where to get a good meal. Right. And, you know, where we met, you know, someone that we really like. And so when it comes to drugs, you see this with addicts, for example. They can get triggered by all the things that were associated with their high. So, you know, maybe a drug user that sees a spoon you know, and, and gets triggered by that or a bong or, you know, something like that. Or, or people who drink alcohol get triggered by going to a party and seeing lots of young people, loud music, that kind of thing. 
and so yeah, the, the brain associates the pleasurable effect of the high with with those other um, stimuli. Right. Got it. So really, that's with something general like laughing or surfing, it's it's just better for you. And the brain still does that uh, learning by association, and it, it has all the stimulus together, and it puts it together for one experience. But those are natural, and they're good for you, while the other ones are bad for you. Right. Right, absolutely. And, and the thing that I find so interesting is when you look at, say, ads for alcohol and, um, you know, other substances, too, that they make ads for, but especially alcohol ones, they try to pair them now with natural highs. So Ooh. it's like, oh, let's go for a bike ride, and then here's this beer, you know. Let's yeah. uh, watch a game, something exciting, but you got to have this, you know, this drink. And, and they're trying to co-opt the concept of natural highs to associate basically everything with their product. Right. And that bothers me when I see it. I don't I don't think going for a run should be followed immediately by consuming a poison. I mean that's what alcohol is, is is a well advertised poison. And I guess that a lot of adults can use moderately and, you know, probably not go overboard. But if we're being completely honest, you know, that the body really doesn't enjoy alcohol in, in terms of its response, I mean, certainly when you get over one drink for a female or two for a male, the adult body has some really negative effects on your brain and uh, your liver and so forth. So um, I'm all about focusing on being in the moment, right, and enjoying the natural high for, for what it is. Definitely. That's so interesting that, that those commercials are doing. They, they clearly know what they're doing. It's, it's just like a Pavlov's dog, right, where he would associate the bell with the food. So if the commercials are associating the, the, the alcohol with a run or after a workout, people are more likely to do that thing and get triggered. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, they see the images of people on a beach around a fire and there's this, they got to have this alcohol. And and so what happens is a lot of people go out and, and kind of live out that prophecy, right? They sit there and they're in that social situation and they think, well, we need beer, we need this drink. And um, to me, that's, it's sad to see that, right? I mean, people are being manipulated and it'd be great if, if we could sort of break that, yeah. that cycle and say, no, we, we don't need this, especially as adults. I think it's important to model for young people, look, we can have a party where, no, you don't have to have alcohol flowing. Yeah, it's an, it's you know, not a requirement. Right. Yeah, that's great. So uh, we heard that some of your natural high examples are surfing, gardening, eating, and running. That's great. And um, uh, do you have any great options for our teen listeners that are sort of general? I mean, I'd list off of a few of my own natural highs, but I'm far from normal when it comes from most 14-year-olds. So, again, it's more of that personal thing, but is there anything that really everyone can love? Yes. It is, and, and it doesn't require a lot of money, you know, whether it's something as simple as swimming, biking, or running. Uh, these are all things that can affect your brain on a regular basis, you know, going out and shooting some baskets. If you're having a bad day, for example, you're in a bad mood, and you're stuck at home, and you, can't, you, know, you can't get out, like, just the idea of going outside and throwing a ball against the wall, it sounds, like, cheesy yeah. to think about it, but I can tell you that I, I got really into baseball when I was younger, partly because of some of the chaos that was going on at home in my house and we lost my grandfather around the time I was like in middle school getting really into sports and I would go outside and throw a ball against the wall to kind of get out my aggression and I would always feel better afterwards. I would enjoy doing it and sure enough, it made me a better baseball player. So, 
you know, it is interesting how just the simplest things, going for a walk, for example, right. you know, finding the woods and, and going outside, you know, walking your pet. You know, these little things have, maybe if I told you it was a 10% improvement in your mood, um, you know, I think that would be great. It's wonderful to see that. I mean, rather than need a chemical to change your mood, here's an activity that can make you a little happier. And then you look at life a bit differently. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's that's great for teens. And I mean, this works for adults, right? I mean, I'm sure if everyone knew that if you just smile a little bit more to relieve some stress from work, I think everyone would do it. Yeah, and they, they do have research that shows if you just smile, it, it improves your mood. I think work and the stress of being an adult can make people think that, oh, you know, I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm too busy. They've got all these responsibilities. The way I look at it is these natural highs, they're not just like for fun, extra things. They're for our mental health. So my entire schedule is around this idea of, all right, every day, what am I going to do to feel better, to feel a natural high? Even if I'm on the road speaking and I'm super, super busy, I'm going to try to squeeze in a workout at a gym somewhere. Even if I'm in the middle of nowhere and it's just at my hotel, I don't care. I'm going to do that. Or I'm going to meditate or I'm going to make sure I have a decent meal if I have time. So I'm looking at two or three of these natural highs that keep me going even through, you know, the hardest days when it's freezing cold and raining and, and it snowed for an hour when I was in LA, I could tell that was uh, very upsetting to people. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, like that, that's the kind of thing. If you can kind of build in every day things to do, listening to music when you're on your commute, you know, listening to a podcast that you're interested in, like that's the kind of thing that I look for every single day to keep my mood up. Got it. Yeah, it's, it, you just got to find your own thing. Right. It takes trial and error. It really does. And, and you just might discover something. Like, I think if you see an activity going on and it just you see it and you say, that's so cool. I wish I could do that. Then take steps to figure it out. For me, I know surfing was like that. When I would watch someone out in the ocean catching waves, I was just marveled at it, thinking, how did they do that? I could never do that. Well, maybe you can. Yeah. Save up some money, get a lesson or two. I was renting boards at the time, then I was buying my own. Like It just became a thing over time because I had that drive. I didn't ignore that feeling of like, whoa, you know, that excitement. Don't That's the whole point of living, right? You get that. Right. If you see someone on stage performing music and you're like, oh, my God, that's the greatest thing ever, but I couldn't do that. Well, why not? Why can't you do that? Try an open mic. Take some lessons. Practice on your own. Like these things happen for a reason for people because you're driven you know by your passion i wouldn't be a speaker today had i not had that feeling when i was in high school and i saw professional speakers who were funny and i thought that's the coolest job you could ever have Definitely. and now i get to have that job but it took me you know years of working at it to get here cool so when I met you at the Kickash Conference, actually when you were talking to us and doing what you said, uh, you gave me a copy of your book, A Better High. And I'm about halfway through it, by the way, and I would 100% recommend it to any of our listeners if you want to learn a little bit more about Matt, his practices, ideas, and different programs. So in this book, you mentioned some of your encounters with the different substances like alcohol and drugs within your family and in your life. Could you tell us a little bit why you started this Natural High program and get, it, get the word out there? So it, it came partly out of a, a student group I created in college, and the whole point of the group was to promote late-night activities, natural highs, if you will. The concept of natural highs is not something I invented. When I was at a camp in high school, 
there was a speaker who talked about it. his name was George Obermeyer. And there were also tons of like cheesy posters you'd see like in your high school guidance counselor's office, you know, that would list out all these natural highs. Um, so it was a concept that was out there. For me, when I went off to college and I started the student group and I was studying biology, I kind of thought to myself, I need to take this to the next level because there's a lot of research coming in about the brain and behavior that I don't think anyone's ever applied to natural high, to the conversation of natural highs. They really haven't gone deep on this stuff. And so, um, you know, I was already speaking, geez, at the age of 21, I was being hired to speak about the student group I created in college. The group still exists. It was doing great things. And along the way, I thought, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to create a book that I could provide to people after I'm done speaking, and they can go even further on their own um, based on the research that I've pulled together for the book. So it evolved over time. I mean, I, I always knew that natural highs were a great way to change your mood, but until I started writing the book, I didn't have, you know, the, the research sort of documented anywhere, but now people can buy it and, and read, you know, about certain activities and what, what they do, how they impact, uh, you know, different brain chemicals. Nice. So when you said you started that uh, that club at your at your college, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, if someone if someone wanted to start a club just like that, where everyone can focus on just having fun with with each other and not having to use substances or anything in their neighborhood, school, church, whatever it is, how how would you recommend you do that? How what's a good starting point? Yeah. So there's a website called naturalhigh.org. And these folks are based out of La Jolla, California. And um, on the site, they've got a link there that says start a natural high club. They uh, give you some easy steps how to walk through it. Me personally, I found that the best thing to do was to just have an interest meeting. I put a flyer out there um, with a picture of Calvin and Hobbes on it. And that was the name of the group, ultimately, Calvin and Hobbes. And the people who came together for the interest group, um, they really were the ones who decided that the group should be about social events on the weekends because that's what was lacking on our campus. And from there, once we had the energy of that core group of people, there's only about seven of them, um, it kind of took on a life of its own. You know, you pursued the avenue on campus to find out uh, how to become a, a student group, right? You have to write a constitution and you have to you know, state who your members are and your mission statement and everything else. And then you get a budget, you've got to present a budget, and then we got some money for the group. So on our campus, it was a very specific path. But for other students, it's different, right? They're in middle schools, they're in high schools. You have to go to, to adults to get approval, to have an advisor. Um, so I would say that that naturalhigh.org website is, is a good sort of template to follow. And people can feel free to Email me if they want through my website, which is just mattbellis.com. I love helping students start groups like this, so nice. Don't hesitate to reach out. No, that sounds great, and I hope I hope we get a few going. So, um, I think a lot of people may think that these natural highs that we've been talking about this whole time can't even come close to a high from drugs or other substances. Do you have any scientific facts or data that can prove this theory wrong and say, yes, this is just as good as a drug or anything? Well, in in the book, I make the point, the title of the book is A Better High. So it assumes in that title that natural highs are a better high. What they're not is a more intense high 
So certainly, if you read accounts of people who've used heroin and methamphetamines and cocaine, I mean, you're convinced that these drugs force the brain into a state of extreme high and euphoria. And I don't doubt that. I don't need to go try heroin to appreciate the fact that it's probably the most euphoric feeling the brain can feel. But what happens over time with any drug um, is that the brain does something called homeostasis. Uh, the body does this too. But like the brain is always looking for what that set point was. So if you force the brain into a high state with the chemical, it tries to counteract that by reducing the number of receptors available to receive the chemicals. It's toxic for the brain. So unfortunately, people who use drugs for a long period of time start to get this gray, dull feeling when they're not using drugs, right? So they use drugs eventually just to cope with not using drugs. Right. And that's, that's really the state of being addicted. Now, a natural high doesn't behave that way. Your brain has had a balanced natural high. And I'll argue that a natural high might not be more intense than a chemical high, but it certainly is more complex, more rich, um, something often you can be proud of, a story you can tell other people, and an accomplishment in many cases. And so the complexity of a natural high, like helping another human being, you know, or studying really hard and getting an A in a class or getting accepted into college or falling in love, you know, these no drug on the planet can replicate the richness and complexity of, of a tremendous natural high. And when you interview addicts, people who've used for decades, they don't look very happy, first of all. <laughs> so the drug is not making them happy. Eventually, it's all about just seeking the drug out. Even using the drug doesn't do it anymore. Yeah. It's all about the cravings, and they seek out the drug just to kind of deal with the cravings and to not get sick when, when it's really extreme. Um, you talk to someone who's been a runner, let's say, for 30 years. My wife is coming up on that. Wow. She's been running since she was in high school. And she still loves running. <laughs> and she goes out, she's going to run a marathon at the end of the month. It's her first one. And she's experiencing for the first time the high of, of a marathon. Because she was always someone who ran, you know, half marathons and 10Ks and things like that. But she doesn't have this effect of like, oh, I feel terrible the rest of my day. I can't function. No. To her, running is empowering. It makes her, helps her focus. It lifts her mood. Um, she still talks about that high in glowing terms. She has so many friends that have come out of that experience uh, that have enriched her life. Um, there's nothing to hide. There's no shame involved there, right? So um, it's interesting just to see the difference in the chemical high versus the natural high. And I'll always say, look, if the chemical high is going to be more intense, certainly the first time you do it. But the natural high is, is more complex and satisfying. And it's just better for you, right? I mean, running is, you know, it's helping you lose weight. It's doing all this stuff. You're outdoors. And, I mean, it's just, it's just overall better for your body and better for your brain. It's just overall good. <laughs> it is. You know, you can overdo anything. I will say that. You can run too much. Right, you can eat too much. Like there's things you can do in terms of natural highs. That one of the chapters is unhealthy natural highs. But if you do them as part of a balanced lifestyle, they're going to be good for you now and for the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. 
Okay, well, I mean, Miss Dr. Bellis, this has been such a great podcast. I'm, I'm super stoked that we got to talk to you and spread your message all over our district. If you want to get in touch well, with Matt. Thanks for doing it, Jack. Yeah, no problem. I mean, if you want to get in touch with Matt or just keep up with his endeavors, make sure to follow him on Twitter at Matt Bellis with an E and check out his website, MattBellis.com, as he mentioned him to, as he mentioned before to contact him. Uh, Matt, is there anything else you want to say to our listeners before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, I, I guess just, uh, you know, every day look as an opportunity to find, you know, your, your natural high and, and be in the moment, right? And enjoy those things that, uh, that lift our mood, pay attention to them, right? That even the little things that as spring has sprung here in New Jersey, anyway, uh, there's so much around us that can make us smile. And, uh, after months of the winter, we definitely, uh, you know, should embrace them. Definitely. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on today, and you are always welcome back for any podcast later. And I just wanted to say before you head out that I have been working on practicing my own natural highs were more. I've been meditating before bed, laughing more, getting up early, and it has definitely made me feel more happy, entertained, and less stressed. So, people, this is not witchcraft, hippie practices, or anything in between. This is science, and it works great. Anyways, this has been Jackie B talking with Matt Bellis on KA19, and we'll see you next week, Sequoia.